Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. And welcome. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. We are in our summer series that we have entitled, we have entitled the original top 10. The original top 10. Again, it's based on the fact that you ask most people, they can tell you top songs, top baseball teams, top, top stuff like that, but they can't tell you the top 10, the top command, the 10 commandments. And when they do, they, it's treated like suggestions suggestions. And so today we're on our fourth commandment. So someone say fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment says what? Help me out. Come on, say it out. Say it out loud. I heard. That's what I heard. I want someone to say it with confidence. What does it say? Come on, someone. I love that. I love it. I love the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so today... In light of the message today, I'm calling it a day of rest, a day of rest, today's message. And of course, we find that commandment in Exodus chapter 20, one that was given to Moses to deliver to the children of Israel by God. And this is what it says. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It goes on to say, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. And so when we got to... Uh, commandment number four, when we did the overview, and I was teaching you guys how to memorize this, the, the Ten Commandments, I gave you, uh, we drew a picture, I told a story, and then we shortened the ver- verse. First we put up the number four, then we turned the four into a what? A sailboat, and then we told a story about a guy, you know, maybe he, he hit the lottery, he used to go to church all the time. Once he hit the lottery, he decided he was going to buy himself a sailboat. And instead of going to church, he was going to go sailing. And as he was out there in the high seas, he says, Lord, this is now my church. And as the words were coming out of his mouth, lightning bolt flies out of the sky, hits the sail, whips a hole in it. And the remember, the remember this one, it's to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. holy. Yes, you guys are awesome. Now, as I... Think about that story. Listen to me. Believe it or not, the dude in the story wasn't too far off from the original intent or the meaning of the text as it relates to us resting, God's expectation for us to rest. The seventh day of the week we know is what day? Help me out, somebody. Come on. Work with me today. Saturday. And that's the day that the Jews heard this commandment and decided to observe this commandment by and large in terms of not working and then going to the temple for their day of worship. But we also tackled this issue uh, when we talked about the Seventh-day Adventists because they also ascribed to going to church on Saturday. 
but when we looked into it, because I, was, you know, I wasn't going to use them, but I wanted to see how they compared to other Christian churches, why most Christian churches ended up on Sunday and they still ascribe to Saturday. And then we looked at what they said, and we found that in some areas they, they made you on the minors. They will, they will twist the scriptures, and in that series, that's what we talked about, twisted scriptures, Seventh-day Adventist. And we learned there that there's more to the Sabbath than just meets the eye. Now, we already hashed out the, what's the so-called correct day to worship on. Remember John, the revelator, in the book of Revelation, he was on the Isle of Patmos, he was, which was a prison island, caught a vision. And he said, our John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? Help me out, somebody. It's Sunday. It's technically Sunday. The reason it's called the Lord's Day in the Scripture is because it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so from that day on, the early church, from then on, started meeting and gathering on the Lord's Day. But technically speaking, what's the Lord's Day? Every day is the Lord's Day. What day didn't God make? Come on, somebody. So every day is the Lord's day, and so we concluded, you know, if you want to worship, pick one. The early Christian church picked Sundays, and that's the the days that we worship on because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But but pick one, and and, and we've been on this day for centuries. So we're not going to go into that again and hash that out. If you're interested in the subject, just go online to YouTube or Facebook. Look up um, Living Water Community Church, like, subscribe, and share the messages, especially the one on Seventh-day Adventist, tell you all the reasons why we ended up on Sunday. But suffice it to say that in creation, the Bible says God rested on the seventh day. But my question is, since God is all-powerful, why does he have to rest at all? Things that make you go, hmm. The answer is he doesn't get tired. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need to take a break. So why does it say he rested? Uh, 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 so so what, what is this text really saying? Well, as always, I like to let Scripture answer Scripture as we turn to our main text this morning, and we're going to let the Bible explain the Bible. Now, speaking of Bibles, I haven't said this in a while, but there are literally Bibles in each uh, seat, in each pew. If you want to follow along that way, you can follow along on your phone. You can follow along on the overhead. If you're watching online, you can follow along as well. Um, we have an outline. If you don't have one, you can raise your hand. Let's get one to you. But we have these cool little scan things. You can scan your little smartphone on it, and everything will pop up. Our text for this morning comes out of Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And in the New Living Translation, it literally says a discussion about the Sabbath, a discussion about the Sabbath. And it says, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And then he said this profound thing. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. 
So what was going on here that got the Pharisees and the religious people of his time so upset? Apparently, as Jesus and his disciples were walking through this grain field, there had to be a, a sizable entourage with them. It wasn't just the disciples. It was people who were following them. And then there was also the religious people, the Pharisees, who were looking for reasons to accuse Jesus. We're going to see that in the text. But it was a sizable entourage, and they're walking through this grain field, and Jesus' disciples, they get hungry. And becoming hungry, they, start, they reach over to the, to, the, the, to the grain stalks, they break off the top, and they start eating it. Now listen to me, I didn't even know you could eat them like that, right? I, I don't eat it unless they, you know, they come in a loaf in the store, right? But they were breaking them off and eating them. I didn't know you can do that. And then they started accusing Jesus' followers of being lawbreakers. Why? Not because it wasn't their grain field, okay? Because the Jewish law allowed for the gleaning of fields even if it wasn't yours. It says it in, in, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, telling, telling the land owners, owners, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. In other words, Take everything, but leave the edges, okay? And then he tells us why. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them, watch this, for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. He says it again in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. How many know that God blesses generosity? Come on, somebody. He says, when you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And when you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they're picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Remember that you were slaves. You were slaves in the land of Egypt. That is why I'm giving you this command. And so what's going on here? Basically, this is how God commanded the community to take care of the poor and the needy in their land. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have government assistance. They didn't have food stamps. If they were poor and needy and needed food, God told the ones who had that when you go through your land, leave the edges. If you drop something behind, don't go back and pick it up. Allow the poor, the needy, the orphans, the widows to come and, and pick up that land and, it wasn't, and pick up the stuff from the land, and it wasn't considered stealing. So, so the Pharisees weren't accusing the followers of Jesus of breaking the law in, in terms of stealing. They, called, they said you were breaking the law of the Sabbath. And the law of the Sabbath basically said that on Saturday, everything was to cease. You weren't even supposed to work at all. And they were accusing them of working because they were hungry to feed themselves. That's a stretch, isn't it? They were hungry. They weren't working. They were hungry, and they were feeding themselves. But these people were religious, and they were following the letter of the law. And we're going to hear what the, about the letter of the law. And, the, and they started to condemn Jesus's followers. Now, how upset were they over this issue of working on the Sabbath? You just go to the, next, the very next verse, which is Mark chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, Jesus 
went into the synagogue again and noticed the man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' what? Jesus' what? Jesus' enemies watched him close, closely. Now, I'll just give you a little side note here. Newsflash. Jesus had enemies. Yeah, Jesus had enemies. The most loving person on the planet that ever walked this earth had enemies. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. And there were people who were constantly watching him. And I say this to say this. If Jesus had enemies, you are not going to get through this world without somebody getting upset with something you have to say. Come on, somebody. My message last week, I'm sure, upset some folks just from telling the truth. Okay? And so I'm not, I'm not under any illusions as a preacher of the gospel that everything I say is going to please everyone I, I talk to. It didn't work for Jesus. It's not going to work for you. The only way you're going to please everybody is, is you're going to upset God. You understand what I'm saying? That's the only way. Because the scripture says in the last days, they're not going to be able to hear sound doctrine. They're going to amass to themselves leaders or people who will tell them what they want to hear. They will tickle their ears. And anyone who doesn't tickle their ears, they're going to get very, very upset with when I quote chapter and verse. From the Bible. Jesus had enemies. Now watch this. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Now mind you, it's a church, it's a full. Jesus is preaching, it's teaching. He sees a guy over there and his hand is crippled. He comes up, the Pharisees are in the crowd. Enemies came to church to figure out reasons to accuse him. And they're ready to, 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 to do whatever they need to do. And so he grabs the man. He puts him in front of the church. He turns him around. And he says this. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the Lord permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily, yes, Jesus got angry, and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand, and watch this, as he held out his hand, which was deformed, stressed it out, the Bible says it was restored. Verse 6. And at once the Pharisees jumped up for joy and started worshiping God. And there was a miracle that took place in their very sight. Is that what it says? No. The man got healed. A miracle happened in their presence. And the Pharisees, the religious cuckoos for Cocoa Puffs, went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Imagine that. Jesus does a good thing, but because in their minds he broke the law of the Sabbath, they're looking for reasons to kill him. Keep that in mind. Because from these two accounts, the field and the church event, the healing of the man in the church, in the, in the, in the temple, 
I've come up with four things that each of us need to know concerning the fourth commandment, okay? Beyond just what you see and hear. Number one, and Jesus said it. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was saying that from the very beginning, and some people will say, well, Pastor Rick, that's the Old Testament, and the Old Testament says one thing, and when we're in the New Testament, how many know that there was no New Testament when Jesus walked this earth? He, was, he only dealt with the Old Testament. And so he's saying that, that the Sabbath, from the very beginning, the purpose of the Sabbath wasn't for man to become the Sabbath slave, a slave to whatever the Sabbath says its rules, its regulations. The purpose of the Sabbath was to build in a cycle of rest that God knew we all would need. Come on, somebody. Again, the scriptures say that God worked for six days and then on the seventh day he rested. He rested not because he needed it. He rested because he knew that we would need it. Come on, somebody. And he was setting an example for us to follow. Now, why is this important? Why was this important for him to institute this? Because, listen to me, apart from God's boundaries, apart from God telling us we need to be taking a break sometimes, I believe that there are certain people who will literally work themselves to death. Now, as I thought about that statement, I'm not talking about the current generation of Gen, Gen Z, <laughs> or the, also known as the snowflakes of today. They need an energy drink just to wake up in the morning. Amen. They've got two speeds, slow and stop. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Not really. <laughs> but with no boundaries, excluding the Gen X's, I mean the Gen Z's, people will work themselves and will work you to death. Now, in this country where we are influenced by what we call the Judeo-Christian history or roots. In, in our country, we, we, we took what, what the Jewish Bible said, said you shall work for six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. We, we work for five days, and then we take two days off, right? But <laughs> take India, for instance. I was over there a few years ago on a mission trip. And what I found was a whole bunch of hardworking people. Uh, they, they, they were steeped in idolatry, and the, and, the, and the ministry and the missions is important in terms of work to try to reach people for Jesus. But we were hooked up with a host family who loved Jesus. Matter of fact, he's probably watching today. Pastor Martin and Miss Linda. Hello, Pastor Martin, Miss Linda, and his daughters, Nikki and Cheeky. Nikki and Cheeky. Now, what I noticed about Nikki and Cheeky and the whole family is that their daughters, they were Gen X's or Gen Z's. They were in their 20s, early 20s. And unlike our Gen Z's, one of them was already an engineer, and the other one was already a doctor <laughs> in dentistry. Super helpful, super hardworking in terms of ministry, prepping for our outreaches for, for our teams. Cheeky and Dr. Nikki I, 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 were amazing. And at one point, as I was heading to a site to preach the gospel, the girls were up earlier than everybody else. They were up with their mom preparing the food and setting things up and, and, and preparing things to go out. 
even on a Sunday. Uh, and I, it just impressed me, so I turned to, to uh, Dr. Nikki, who was in, a, in my car with me, and I said, listen, what is your normal work hours? And she said, well, well uh, after a long day of ministering on a Sunday, she still has to go to work. I said, well, well what's your average hours on a daily? She said, we, we work usually 10 to 12 hours a day. I said, well, how many days do you get off? She said, well, we get off two days. I said, oh, that's similar to the States. We get off two days a week, too. She says, no, two days a month. I said, what? She said, yeah, maybe I thought I lost it in the translation. No, they, they work all the time, and they get off two days a month. Now, she's presently on maternity leave with a second child. She asked us to pray for, for her for a safe delivery. But when she told me that, we're, we're praying for you, Dr. Nikki. But I was literally blown away. Well, I, I think without the influence of a Judeo-Christian heritage that leads back to the Bible, the same thing would probably happen in this culture, in this country. And God knew that the bodies that he created for us, they, we, we weren't designed to be working all the time. We're not made that way. And so he institutes a day of rest, not monthly, but weekly. In fact, he doesn't just say, I want you to rest. The scripture says, I want you and your servants in your household to rest. Today, that would be your employees. And then he says, I want your sons and your daughters. That means your children to, to take a day of rest. Even And even the foreigners in the land, I want everyone at weekly to get time to rest. You know why? Because we all work better when we have regular periods of rest. That's just a fact. And God doesn't want any of us working ourselves to death. And so what's the solution? Listen, we have to be able to take on a weekly basis what I call me time. Write that down. Me time and we time. Now, me time is you, you take the time to rejuvenate yourself. Some people like to read books. Some people like to do puzzles. Some people just like to lay in bed. That's what Pastor Sean told me he's going to do this weekend, possibly. Just lay around, right? Some people like to, to draw beautiful draw pictures. That's my daughter. She likes to draw these beautiful, intricate pictures. And I'm like, and I'm looking at that. It looks like work to me because all I can draw is a stick figure. And hers is like, they look like, you know, they're just absolutely beautiful. She says, it helps me to, to relax. I said, you go. I, I like to go to a movie or ride my bike or before COVID, go on an occasional hunt, play a little, little bit of golf. I, I'm not that great at it, but I like to act like I can play a little. But whatever you do on a weekly basis, you do you. Let me qualify that. As long as it's not illegal or immoral. You kind of have to say that today because somebody's going to take my words. And Pastor Rick says, <laughs> once a month, I got to do me. So I'm heading to the strip club or I'm heading to this or I'm heading to that. No. Keep it PG. All right. And take that time of rest. And then there's not just me time, but there is we time to rest and rejuvenate with your family. That's the occasional vacation or time with your family. And it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. It could be a day at the beach or, or, or backyard barbecue or picnic at the park. Whatever it is, put it on your calendar. I've never heard anyone say on their deathbed, I wish I would have worked more. You know what they say? I wish I would have spent more time 
with the family. The kids grow up quick. It feels like Deb and I had our kids, and before you know it, they're all adults, and they're having their children. That time that you have with them goes quick. Put time on the calendar, what we call we time, to rest with them. Amen? The opposite of rest is stress, and people who burn the calendars, uh, uh, candles at both ends, they look like this guy. And they just end up feeling burnt out. So let that sink in. Scripture says man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Now having said that, clearly the Sabbath was also a time for them to go to church and to do good things. Right? Because where was Jesus when the second event happened? He was in church. He was in the temple. And what was Jesus doing? He was preaching and teaching and healing the sick. He was doing good things. And so my reasoning is this. If the temple was a good enough place for Jesus to go regularly and to do good things, it should be a part of our weekly routine as well. Now, I don't say stay in church all day. There are some cultures that love to go to church all day. When I was preaching in Jamaica, Listen to me. I had my little 45-minute message, and I was done in 45-minute message, and they were like, well, that's it? They wanted me to continue for two hours. I don't have two hours of material, but I, I did my best. And then they took a little break, and I noticed nobody was going home. They brought out the food, and they hung out there until the evening service, and they were there all day. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Pastor Rick loves church. I don't want to be in church all day. You understand what I'm saying? And so the scripture says, but we should spend time in church and do good. Now it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we've read this before and we understand it. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, as a church, as a body of believers, the Bible says we are supposed to consider how we should spur each other on to good deeds and to encourage one another. And that only happens in the context of us actually showing up on a regular basis. And you need to know that there are ample opportunities in this church to do good deeds. In fact, we need, we need volunteers to help in several areas in the ministry, especially the children's ministry splash zone, splash zone. And we're asking our parents and our grandparents of the children who go to our ministry to sign up and to help for at least once a month, make a once a month commitment to do something good in this church because God is sending the children here. How many was here two weeks ago? The church was filled with our kids. God is sending them here, and they, and, and they need people who are going to love on them and help guide them and point them to Jesus. Amen. Amen? So consider signing up, and that's your next. That's the solution: is to get involved. Get involved, and you can do that as easy as clicking on that QR code and say, I'm interested, there is a background check because we are talking about our children, amen? And it's an application process. But get involved and get on the schedule. Now, 
The third thing this verse kind of reveals to us, I want you to write this down, is that the Sabbath, these verses, the Sabbath foreshadows our need for Jesus. The Sabbath foreshadows our need for Jesus. Now let me explain. Jesus told us in verse 28, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He's Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it means a couple of two things. First of all, this verse is one of the many verses that reveal his divinity. For Jesus to say that he's Lord of the Sabbath and God is the one that gave Moses the, the law, he's saying something. He's revealing himself, and, it, and we see what he's saying in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And help me out, somebody. And the Word was God. So the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was, has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And then the scripture says, if you're still having trouble figuring out who he's talking about, if you drop down to verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So who's the word? Jesus is the word. He is God incarnate. He, he was there at the beginning to institute the Sabbath. Therefore, he is Lord over the Sabbath. He's Lord over the laws that were, that were sent out. And let me give you a for instance. It would be like, like a CEO or owner of a company sending out a message to their employees, I want everybody there at 9 o'clock, right? But then he walks in at 10.30. And one of his employees turn around and say, well, why are you coming in at 10.30 if all of us have to be here at 9 o'clock? And he would say, well, I am the, <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> because he's the one that made the rule. He's the one that, he's Lord over that rule, amen? And he has the authority to walk in it or not walk in it at all. Does that make sense? Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath. Now, let me give you the second reason. It's probably more important than even the first. The Sabbath foreshadows our need for a Savior because the Hebrew word Sabbath Sabbath, which is where we get the word Sabbath from, literally means to rest or to stop or to cease from work. Someone say to rest. Yes. Now, Hebrews 4, 1 explains where he's coming from with, with the meaning. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you, listen, might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared his rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who did what? Listen, Listen to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Why? Because they didn't believe. Unbelief kept them out of the rest that God wanted for them. Even though this rest has been ready since he has made the world, 
He, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. Now he's quoting Exodus. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passages, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people who ent- to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is, help me somebody, when is the time that God set to enter his rest? Tell me, what day? What day is it? Today. Someone say today. 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 <laughs> today. So he set another time, and he called it today. Today. He said, God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. He said, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. The, 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 the rest of that text literally says, as they did in the rebellion, and is referring to when God promised the children of Israel that they were going to be sent into the promised land, and they came up with all sorts of reasons why they weren't going to obey what God said. And they didn't, and many of them died in the desert because they refused to enter into what God wanted for them. Don't harden your heart. Verse 8. But he goes on to say, but now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Who are the people of God? Turn to someone say, it's you. It's me too. There's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. How many of you know that we live on a planet that people are just restless? They'll do anything to have rest and peace in their life. They are sucking down pills. They're, they're taking chances with uh, Xanax. They're taking chances with this new thing that's killing them all just to have an hour or two of rest. We are living on a planet where people are literally dying to figure out how to get rest. And the Bible tells us how. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. And so let us do our best to enter that rest But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. We will fall. So what rest from our own work is he referring to? Well, Jesus explains it. He explains it to the crowds who were following him at the time. For for they were all following him for the wrong reasons. He was was doing miracles. At this point, he, he, he took five loaves and two fish, basically a happy meal. He blessed it and he fed the 5,000. And so now more and more people are following him uh, based on the miracles, not understanding that the miracles were supposed to point them to their need for Jesus, but they were following him because they basically wanted him to keep providing food and all this other stuff for them. So he called them on it. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy or work seeking the eternal life that the Son of God can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And so they replied, 
we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? In other words, everybody's trying to figure out what we can do to please God in terms of work. And Jesus responded. Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. Listen to me. Listen to me, all those people who are listening online, who are telling people, giving them this big, long list of things that they need to do to to be qualified for God to, to, to enter into God's rest. This is what Jesus said. This is the only work God wants from you. What did he say? Believe in the one he has sent. That's the work Required. What was Jesus saying? He, he was saying that he is the one that was sent. He is our Sabbath or our Sabbath day rest. And in order to receive eternal life, the work that he requires is for us to, and you can write this down, is to just believe. Just believe. Just believe that Jesus did the hard work for every single one of us. Now, This is hard for a lot of people because a lot of people want to justify their own behavior. And they want to be able to say, look, I'm a good person. And so God should let me in. And then when they compare themselves with the next guy, whenever we compare ourselves to the person next to us, we always do better. I'm better than that dude. I'm better than that girl. But that's not the standard that God uses to compare us. And when we all compare ourselves to Hitler, we, we all look great, don't we? Right? But is that the standard God uses? I'm telling you, it's not. We are not as good as we think we are. Now, this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, God saved you by his grace when you did what? When you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. We have done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, he's telling us that in heaven there will be no boasting. No one's going to get to heaven and say, God, you are lucky to have me. Because if I, did, I gave money to the homeless person, I helped out a family member, I put a little change in the orphan plate. No one is going to get to heaven by declaring themselves righteous. No one's going to get there by saying that. The scripture says there is none righteous, no, not even one. And he says that it's a, a gift from God through grace when we believe. So Jesus is our Sabbath day rest. And the time to enter into that rest or respond to the call of God on our hearts, the scripture says is not tomorrow or the next day. And there's so many people who would say, I'll get right with God when I'm older or when I'm married, or when I'm this, or when I'm that. And the scripture is very clear. Tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. Now, trust me, as a pastor who's been at this for over 20 years, who's done multiple funerals from people of all ages, youngest one being eight months, people in their 20s, early 20s. Do not presume on the future. That's why the Bible says today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. 
Listen, at the end of this service, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to respond today. But let me give you the fourth and final thing concerning the subject that we're talking about today, the Sabbath, that I can see from the Scripture. The letter of the law will condemn us or kill us almost every time. What do we see the Pharisees doing the moment in their minds that Jesus broke the law of the Sabbath? What, what do we see them doing? We see them, the scripture says, they literally, he, he does this miracle. The fact that he heals a man lost on them, he healed the man on the Sabbath day, and in their minds, he's working on the Sabbath and so what do they do? These are the religious people of their day. These are the priests and the pastors of their day. Turning around, it says, and at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot a way to kill Jesus. Now, folks, listen to me. and Follow me just for a few more minutes. That's the logical conclusion for all lawbreakers. The letter of the law, we're going to see, will kill us. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. And we are all lawbreakers. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says he, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians, the new living, says it this way. He says, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. And I'll explain that in just one moment. Galatians 3.10, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not obey, observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you always put God first in your life? What's the fifth commandment? Honor and your father and your mother. Have you always honored your father and your mother? I'm your pastor. My mom's right there. She knows if I said yes, that's not true. <laughs> My mom used to say, be home at a certain time. I would crawl out of my window and crawl back in to be where I wanted to be at a certain time. I have not always honored my father and my mother. The se what's the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said, to look at a woman with lust in your heart is to commit adultery. Who hasn't done that? The scripture says that if you break one commandment, I just named three. I just named three. There's 10, and then the Jewish commandment is over 600. If you break one, you're guilty of breaking them all. You are a lawbreaker. There are people who are trying to justify themselves by following the law, and the logical conclusion is what happened to Jesus. You broke the Sabbath, I'm trying to kill you. The logical conclusion for following the letter of the law is condemnation. 
There's got to be a better way. And there is. It says, so it is clear, verse 11, that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This, this way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But we just said, we just determined obeying the law is only going to condemn you. Does that make the law bad? No. And I'll explain why it's good. It says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. And when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Listen to me. Again, no one does what's right all the time. If you break one, the Bible says you are a lawbreaker. And the purpose of the law, the point of the law, listen, wasn't so that you can try to follow the law and somehow declare yourself self-righteous before God. The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. And the law is going to condemn you. The purpose of the law was to point you to your need for a Savior. And Jesus stepped on the scene. Who knew, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus took the curses that we deserved upon himself so that we would not have to face the penalty for the sin that's in our lives. To God be the glory. Come on, somebody. Amen. And the scripture says that when I put my faith in him, he, he, he uh, justifies me or, or, or he washes me clean from my sin and it's just as if I've not sinned because he paid the penalty with his blood. He paid the, the, the penalty that he didn't owe. He paid for my sins and he paid for your sins on the cross. God is good. Come on, somebody. God is good. And so Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, not on his, his behalf, but on our behalf. Because he's the only one that was sinless on this planet. Jesus became our Sabbath day rest. Amen? Does that make sense? So the solution for every single one of us is not to follow after the letter of the law, but to follow after the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which points us to our need for a Savior in Jesus, and to put our trust in him. And the day of salvation is today. And after this, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to do just that.
much easier to say tomorrow give my life tomorrow better choose the lord today for tomorrow very Diane. And the message of that song says it all. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. The Bible says today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Don't presume on the future. If you've not yet made, surrendered your heart to the Lord, do it today. Jesus said, the work that I require, the work that I require, he says, that, stop working for the food and all this other stuff. You're only following me because you, can, you think you can get these. You don't even understand the miracles. They want to know, well, what can we do to, for the works of God? He says, this is the work that God requires, to believe. To believe on the one whom God sent, that Jesus became our Sabbath day rest. And he says, he says the second time it's come out, it's for everyone who would put their trust in him. Jesus holds himself out. To, for us to stop from our own work, stop from our own striving, and to put our trust in him completely for the salvation of our souls. If you've not yet done that, it'll be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer. 
bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my need for a Savior. I thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, that in him he is the pre-incarnate God, that he's Lord of the Sabbath, and that you've called us to enter into a Sabbath rest with him. I believe that Jesus became a curse on the tree for me, took my sins upon himself, died in three days and rose again. And Father, and because he lives, we shall live as well. And so today I declare, I believe, I trust you, Father, for sending your son, and I thank you for saving me through your son and through that sacrifice. Today I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. And let me encourage you, if you said that prayer and you meant it for the first time, Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And so it's it's important to tell somebody, I prayed to receive Jesus. I rededicated my life to Christ. Many last week did the same. People came up to me afterwards. So take the time and in your, in your pews is a let's get acquainted. I prayed with Pastor Rick. I, I, I recommitted my life. I committed my life to Jesus. Just let us know. Take it and turn it in to the Welcome Center. If you're listening online, you can type it in uh, to the comments. But let us know. Let someone know that I made Jesus uh, my Lord and Savior today. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.